All right, we're in Isaiah, and we're going to be back in Isaiah chapter 6 one more time. We'll be in Isaiah 7 on Wednesday night. But I really wanted to kind of drill down on the topic of the, the tongue or of the unclean lips. I think that's pretty pertinent to our day and age in which we live and the culture in which we live. So I've entitled this message, Taming Our Tongue. Taming Our Tongue. And we're going to read Isaiah 6, verses 5-7. through 7. Isaiah 6, verse 5. Isaiah the prophet says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And so again, as we have looked at, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights or heard the messages from the Wednesday nights uh, where we've covered this before, Isaiah the prophet, uh, when he came into the presence of God, recognized his own sin. In the light of God, every one of us would recognize, if we were honest with ourselves, uh, in, in His light, we'd recognize our own darkness, that we are uh, living in a fallen world. We're living in a fallen body. Uh, we're all sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. And if we say we have no sin, we're liars and the truth is not in us, according to 1 John chapter 1. And so uh, Isaiah, although he was a great man, although he was a good man, although he was a man of God, although he was the spokesman for God, the prophet of God to four kings in Judah over a 50-year period of time uh, at this point in Judah's history, he still recognized the fact that he was a man of unclean lips when he came into the throne room of God through this vision where God took him into his throne room. And so I want to focus this morning on uh, on our lips uh, because he recognized, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. This is the prophet saying this. He, he recognized himself. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he said, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. In other words, we're all a mess. He recognized this in the presence of God. We're all just a big mess, God. You're the only one who's holy. You're the only one who's pure. You're the only one who's righteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. Now, our words do matter. And so we can't just say, well, I'm a sinner, therefore I have unclean lips, therefore I'm not going to be responsible for what my lips say or for what I say or for what I use my mouth to say. Uh, we're responsible to really uh, be in control of our own mouths. Uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And our words matter. The Bible tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. You could speak life with your words or you could speak death with your words. Our, our words have power in them. As we proclaim the Word of God, there's power in the spoken Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, it is our only real offensive weapon that we have uh, with our spiritual armor is the sword, of God, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, you don't have to hold your place there in Isaiah, but I'm going to turn to James, and then I have a number of Scriptures here marked out in my Bible. You may want to jot these Scriptures down and look them up later. Uh, James chapter 3. We looked at this uh, last Wednesday night, but I, all, I want to focus on this this morning as well because this is the New Testament, and James has quite a bit to say here. The Holy Spirit uh, inspiring James to record this about our tongue. In James chapter 3 and verse 2, we read this. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word or in what he says, he is a perfect man or she is a perfect woman, able also to bridle the whole body. So we stumble in many things. We all admit that. If anyone doesn't stumble with his words, he's a perfect man, James says. And James is pretty tough. If you read the book of James, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really give many people a pass on anything. He's tough. Uh, he's the guy that said faith without works is a dead faith. It's like the body without a soul. Faith without works is dead. But he says, if anyone doesn't stumble with his mouth, with his words, he's a perfect man. He has enough control to c- control his tongue. Therefore, he can control the rest of his body. So if you can control your tongue, then you have self-control. You can control the rest of your body also. But if you can't control your tongue, then you and I, if, if we are those who can't control our tongue and we just spout out whatever flies out of our mouth, uh, then we have no self-control over our own body is what he's saying. He continues in verse 5 about the tongue in James 3. He says, even so the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And, you know, we've dealt with forest fires here in California every summer. And, you know, it starts with a camp camper or some homeless camper that the fire gets out of control or some uh, truck has its brakes catch on fire and it sends sparks. And it starts with a, a little fire, a little spark. And the next thing you know, you're burning down houses, you're burning down communities, you're burning down properties, you're burning down cities like in Paradise, California. Uh, and, and so it just takes one spark and look at the great forest fire that comes from that little spark of, uh, of fire. And he's saying the tongue is the same way. The tongue is a little member like that little spark that starts a forest fire, but it boasts great things. He says, see how great a forest, uh, see how great a forest a little fire kindles indeed. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. That's pretty serious about about our tongues. And and he's, he's just saying we need to be aware of this. Our tongue is deadly. Our tongue is poisonous. Our tongue is is a world of iniquity. Because again, Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the tongue speaks or the mouth speaks. So most of us have, you know, especially before we came to Christ, some people even after they've come to Christ, depending on what they're feeding upon throughout the week, they have filth inside of them. And the filth comes out naturally out of their mouth because it's within their heart. You can't really ever say, according to Jesus, uh, that you didn't mean what you said. You could say, I didn't mean to say that, but you can't really say, I didn't mean that because Jesus says, if you said it, you meant it because it was in your heart before it came out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if it comes out of my mouth, I can't say, oh, I didn't mean that. I could say, whoops, didn't mean to say that. I should have kept that one inside. 
uh, you see. So, but we have to take responsibility for our tongues. And really, we have to clean our hearts if we want our tongues to be clean. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And remember, he's writing this to the church. All the New Testament epistles were written to Christians, written to churches. And James is writing this to the church, to the Christians that were in his charge. He says, no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We must be warned. And then he says, with it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God or made into the image of God. And so we say we love God, we worship God, we praise God, we proclaim His Word, and then we turn and we slander our brother, or we gossip about our neighbor, or we tear down someone else with our words. So we bless God, and then we curse our brother. And he says, and these things, brethren, ought not to be. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Obviously, no. It's either fresh water or it's polluted water. You don't have uh, half of it fresh and half of it polluted from the same spring. It's either going to be clean, fresh water, or it's going to be bitter and polluted water. He says, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine, grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And so again, we are warned that our tongues are very dangerous. Our tongues can set a forest fire ablaze. Uh, again, the, the pen uh, is more uh, uh, powerful than the sword because somebody could write an edict that could you know, be read by a million people and they could kill a million people because somebody wrote with a pen and it was read out loud. So the pen, the word, is more powerful uh, indeed than the sword. And in our, our, our words, we have life. And in our words, uh, we, we can speak death as well as life. Now, God wants us to be filled with His Holy Spirit. And if we're filled with His Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> then the Spirit of God is going to help us with our language, help us with our tongue, help us with our words. The Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and peace, and goodness, and patience, and kindness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And so if you are lacking in patience, or kindness, or goodness, or peace, or joy, or faithfulness, or gentleness, or self-control, then you need to work on your heart. And we need to allow the Lord to rule in our hearts. Therefore, as we are submitted to Him and to His Holy Spirit, then He will come forth from our lives. Whatever's within you is going to come out of you via your tongue. And so we are not to use our mouths to bless God and curse man. It's, it's a big problem. And in our culture, it's very common for people to curse one another, you know, where they uh, uh, ask God to damn somebody. And it's become very commonplace. I mean, that used to be considered blasphemy to, to tell somebody for God to damn them. But now it's so commonplace that people don't even think about it. But we're not to damn anybody. That's not our place to damn somebody with our words. We can't, we can't ask God to damn somebody. Who do we think we are? That's God's business. We should ask God to save people, not damn people. 
And so we need to be careful about uh, that which is coming out of our mouths. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle says this here regarding our tongues. Ephesians chapter 4, again, this is written also to Christians. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, putting away lying, Ephesians 4.25, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And so rather than lying to one another, we are to speak the truth to one another because we're members of one another, especially in the body of Christ. He would say earlier in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ. So it's difficult to speak the truth in love to people. Some people are really good about speaking the truth, but they're not really good with doing it in love. Just turn on the internet. You'll see a lot of things are true, but it's certainly not shared in love. It's more shared with hate and hatred. Uh, and some people are really good at speaking in love, but they just have a hard time telling people the truth. They don't want to offend people. And so we are called to be those who will speak the truth, even if it offends, and we do it in love. Because God loves everyone. God created everyone. He wants to save everybody. And so we should have that heart of wanting to see everybody saved as well. And so speaking the truth in love, that is the key to really uh, uh, the Christian tongue. And we should put off lying. I mean, there's things we should do and there's things we should stop doing. We should stop lying to one another, he says in verse 25. And we should speak the truth to everyone. He says, be angry and sin not and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So obviously, if you're angry, there's going to be a lot of angry words that are going to come out of your mouth and angry thoughts are going to lead to angry words, maybe even things that you're going to say to someone that you are later going to regret. And so it's okay to be angry. I mean, Jesus was angry when he overturned the money changers tables. God is angry with the wicked every day. So it's okay to be angry. It's not a sin to be angry. But he says, but be, if, if you're angry, sin not. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. If, if you're going to be angry, be angry at sin. Be angry at the devil because it's the devil's fault. It's sin. That, that causes people to do terrible things to one another. And he says, and, and do not give place to the devil. And so when you do not forgive, when you're angry, when you hold anger and bitterness and it turns to resentment, that can turn to hatred and it'll just poison you. It'll poison you from the inside out. You know, bitterness, it's said, doesn't hurt the other person, but it destroys the person who's carrying around the bitterness. It's like drinking a vial of poison and saying, I'm going to be so bitter, I'm going to drink this vial of poison and I want to watch and see you get sick and die. But I'm the one drinking the poison. The person who you're bitter at, it doesn't even care that you're bitter oftentimes. They don't really care about anything that you or I think. And so bitterness is poisoning ourselves. And we need to uh, be angry and do not sin. And we need to not allow the sun to go down on our wrath. We need to speak the truth and love to one another. We need to stop lying uh, to one another and give no place to the devil. We don't want to give the enemy a place to come into our hearts or into our heads. And often the enemy comes in through bitterness and resentment, and, which leads to, can lead to hatred. 
he continues in verse 28. Ephesians 4.28, he says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Then he says this about our words. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Edification would be the building up of the body of Christ, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ also forgave you. And so this is, again, this is pertaining to and relating to our words, Christian. This is to the Christian. I'm talking to the Christians here this morning. This is for us. Our words. This is to the church. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And some people say, well, I just can't help myself. Well, then you need to work on yourself. Control. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to control you more than your flesh. And you need to guard the inputs that you're putting into your, your soul, into your heart, because what you put in is going to ultimately come out of your mouth. And he says, so let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Again, it's the idea of speaking the truth to one another in love. Love speaks truth. Truth speaks love. Because God is love and truth personified. He says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Why? So we will not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because as Christians, we could grieve the Holy Spirit. We could do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Get into the flesh or go after the things of the world. And we may still be saved, but it's going to put a, a wedge. It's going to put a separation between us and the Holy Spirit when we're disobeying God. And we know we're disobeying God. And we're doing things and saying things we know are not pleasing to God. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. And that hurts us. That puts a distance between us us and our fellowship or our harmony with God. We're all sinners, of course, but we have to take our sin to the cross and we have to repent of our sins and we have to confess our sins. And He's faithful and He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to deal with it. It's not somebody else's problem. It's my problem if I have a problem with my tongue. In Ephesians chapter 5, the next chapter, verse 11, Paul says this, he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are expo exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And so he's giving us the keys here to understand this about our hearts, about our words, about uh, you know forsaking lying and bitterness and wrath and these things, and speaking uh, kindness, being tender, being forgiving to one another, not grieving the Holy Spirit. Part of it has to do with whether or not we're fellowshipping with the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, what input are you putting into your heart, into your mind? The rest of the week, you're, you're, you're feeding yourself good stuff here this morning, but what about the rest of the week? Because you're only here for an hour and a half. Uh, once a week on Sunday mornings, maybe a couple hours, and then you're here maybe some of you for another hour and a half, couple hours on Wednesday nights. But what are you, what are you inputting into your heart and your mind the rest of the week? Are you fellowshipping with the unfruitful works of darkness? We ought not to. 
We should expose them. We should forsake them. Paul says, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done uh, by them in secret. So again, if you don't like what's coming out of your mouth, you don't like your output, you need to check your input because whatever is coming in is eventually going to come out because out of the abundance of the heart, whatever's in your heart, Jesus said the mouth will speak. Now in Galatians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle says this about this issue of the flesh versus the Spirit, the war that takes place within every believer between the flesh and the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14 Paul says this, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Boy, how this world would be a much better place if we all took this seriously. Even in the church. If we loved one another as we love ourselves. So simple, but so difficult for us to do. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, but... Contrarily, if you don't love your neighbors, you love yourself. Talking to the Christian, to the church, he says, but if you bite and you devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You know, you have the idea of two wild animals fighting or something. He's talking to Christians in the church. And believe me, I've been a pastor long enough to see this in the church. You don't think it happens, but it does in the church where people just get into their corner and they get bitter and they get angry and there's one group against another group and, you know, they just tear each other to shreds. And, you know, uh, how does God feel about that? How would you like to see your two kids beating the tar out of each other and fighting with each other? As a parent, your heart would break. And so God loves us. He, he doesn't want us to tear each other up. He says, be careful if you bite and you devour and you attack one another, beware lest you also uh, are consumed by one another. And many churches, the enemy gets in, he brings division they turn against each other. They attack each other. And Satan's not stupid. Look what he's doing to our country. He's dividing us. He understands. Because Jesus said, a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. So Satan knows this. If he could bring division into the church, he could destroy the church. He can do that. If he could bring division into a marriage, he could destroy the home. If he could bring division into a nation, he could destroy that nation. A house that is divided against itself cannot stand. And so if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you just are consumed by one another. And then he says this in verse 16. He says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so this is a key that we have to understand. Even after we're saved, because Paul is writing this to the church, he's writing this to Christians, we still have our flesh. And our flesh is still powerful. And our flesh is still corrupted. Our flesh is still wicked. And so he says, the flesh is lusting or fighting against the Spirit. And the Spirit is fighting against the flesh. These are contrary or in contrast to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so if you want to be led by the Spirit, you need to feed upon the things that are going to edify and feed and build up your spirit. And the problem is this, is that most of us as Christians, we pay God lip service, we give God leftovers, we don't have even time to crack open our Bibles during the week because we're just too busy, so we think we don't even have five minutes 
to open our Bibles for devotions uh, because we're so busy and yet we manage to find time to spend six hours on our phones during the day on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, Instagram, or in front of the television set, and yet we don't have five minutes to spend with God. We don't have ten minutes to spend with God. You see, it's not a priority. That's the problem. Because it's hard to uh, feed our spirit. Our flesh doesn't like it. You know, it's, it's, it's easier to read a Christian magazine about the Bible than it, than it is to read the Bible. Your flesh would rather you read a magazine about Christianity than read the Bible. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just evidence to the fact that our flesh is wicked. So we have to master our flesh. We have to crucify our flesh. We have to mortify our flesh. And in order to do this, we have to make a priority of the things of the Spirit. We have to feed upon the Word of God. We have to deny the things of the flesh that feeds our flesh. And it's a war. It's a battle, especially in this wicked and perverse generation that we are a part of. But he continues with the warnings if you go after the flesh. He says this in verse 19 of Galatians 5. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. That's all sexual immorality. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries or partying, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's, Listen, if you're a Christian, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So we either are living after the flesh or we're living after the Spirit. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. And believe me, it is like swimming against the current in this culture. You are literally swimming against the current of this culture if you're seeking to deny your flesh and you're seeking to grow and feed your spirit. This is like food that we give to our soul. We want to give our soul good food. We want to feed our soul good things. The Word of God, Bible studies, sermons, devotions, worship music, prayer time, Christian fellowship, serving the Lord, ministry. All of these things are good for our spirit. This is what fills our spirit. And really, this is what really fulfills us the most is when we're with the Lord, when we're learning about the Lord, when we're studying God's Word and He's revealing things to us, when God is uh, teaching us His Word and we're becoming more like Jesus Christ and then God uses us to reach out to others. What a joy. What a privilege. What an honor. There's no greater purpose for life than to be used by God where one day God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're faithful with a few things. I'm going to give you many things. So if we're going to feed the Spirit and we're going to strengthen our spirit, then we must unplug from the influences of this world. We must unplug from the influences of this world. 
And we must plug ourselves into the influence of the Word of God and the influence of the Spirit of God. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In 1 Peter, Peter says this in 1 Peter in chapter 2. I'll read it to you here. Peter says this in verse 1 about the Word of God. He says, Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking. So we need to lay that stuff aside. Malice would be being malicious or or hateful or spiteful. Deceit, obviously, is deception. Hypocrisy is phoniness, a total uh, hypocrite. One way in church, another way outside of church. Envy, where you're jealous about what other people have, coveting what other people have, and evil speaking. All of this, again, is tied to the tongue and to the words that come out of our mouths. We're supposed to put all this stuff, lay it all down. This is the old man, the old nature. He says, Now, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So the Word of God is like milk to us. And not just to baby Christians. Certainly that would be true for baby Christians, but it's true for all of us that God's Word is like milk that nourishes us and that strengthens us uh, even as milk would strengthen uh, the young child and would strengthen the body. So th- this is the milk of the word that we are supposed to be feeding upon. Uh, Hebrews, the author to the Hebrews tells us this about the word of God in Hebrews chapter five and verse 12. He says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a baby but solid food belongs to those who are of full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil so uh, you have the milk of the word and then you have you move on to the solid food of the word the meat of the word the more challenging aspects of the Word of God. You know, the milk might be the simple teachings of the Bible that we would teach our children, that we would teach in Sunday school class or maybe a junior high or a youth group. But, you know, that's the milk. It's good for all of us. But those who are skilled in the Word of God, those who are mature, we want more than milk. We want the solid food. We want the meat of the Word of God. Now, the Bible also says that not only is uh, the Bible to us milk uh, and, and meat, but it's also bread. Remember what Jesus said when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so there's a lot that Jesus is teaching us here. He used the Word of God to repel the attacks of the enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is our offensive weapon against the enemy. Even when the enemy attacks us in our mind or in our heart, Jesus here is demonstrating this for us. He quotes the Word of God. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God's Word is like bread to our soul. Even as bread is a staple of food to your body, Jesus is saying a greater bread is the bread uh, of God. The Word of God. A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's Word is like bread to our soul. It's like manna from heaven to our souls that we must feed upon if we want to be strengthened. Uh, in Psalms, the psalmist talks about the Bible being like honey and a honeycomb for our souls. Psalm 19, verse 7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and are righteous altogether. More to be desired than they uh, are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And so, not only is the Bible like milk, and like meat, and like bread, it's also sweet like honey to our soul. The Word of God, the judgments of God, the statutes of God, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. This is all good for us. Because we can then, as we begin to know the Lord through His Word, we can then allow the Lord to transform us by the renewing of our mind into the image and the person of Jesus Christ. It's a lifetime of transformation, of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruit. He continues here, in verse 12, he says, who can understand his heirs? You see, if you, if, if you study the Word of God and it's sweet to you, then you begin to judge yourself correctly. And Paul says, if you judge yourself correctly, you wouldn't be judged. Who can understand his heirs? Cleanse me from secret faults. God's Word will reveal the secrets of your own heart to yourself. Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So again, as you put God's Word into you, then God's Word will naturally come out of you. But if you have not inputted it into your own heart and your mind, how is it going to come out if you haven't studied it and, and, and made it your own? Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable uh, in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Now, many people struggle with addictions in this culture. I mean, everybody's addicted to something, it seems like, today. And uh, everybody seems okay with it. And, you know, we just have to understand that uh, if you don't want sin or addiction to have dominion over you, then you have to do something about it. You, ha you have to actually stop feeding that addiction. You have to go and seek help and counsel uh, in the Word of God to, you know, feed yourself something else other than that which is feeding your flesh. Oftentimes, I advise people who are struggling with lust or they're struggling with drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever it is uh, in counseling is to start to fast because the problem is, is that you're feeding your flesh too much and your flesh is so powerful because you're not feeding your spirit. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, but you're not hearing the Word of God. You're listening to the Word of man and all the garbage on TV and the internet and in the workplace or whatever because we live in a fallen world. 
And so then you have no strength when the devil comes knocking at your door, tempting you. Uh, and so you must take a stand and, and you must begin to uh, uh, feed your uh, spirit and starve your flesh. And if you're struggling with addiction, I encourage you to fast and fast and fast and just punish your flesh. Put your flesh down. Put it in its place. Mortify your flesh. Crucify your flesh. Do not let the flesh rule over you. You have to put the flesh to death. Otherwise, it will dominate you. And that's true for all of us. So the Word of God here is uh, beautifully referred to in Psalm 19. And it's interesting, as he mentioned, that it's like honey. Uh, even the prophet Ezekiel, when God was giving him a prophecy to give to the children of Israel or Judah, uh, he says this in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to Ezekiel the prophet, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. So God gave him a prophecy, and he wanted him to eat it. I mean, it's it's uh, allegorical, obviously. The scroll was spiritual, symbolic of the Word of God, the prophetic message that God was giving Ezekiel to go and to proclaim judgment upon God's people, Judah. And yet, when he ate the scroll, the Word of God, he said it was uh, like honey in sweetness to my lips. Now, it is interesting that John, the beloved apostle, also had an example in the book of Revelation where he also was asked to eat a scroll the Word of God, the prophecy of God. And I'll read this to you. It's very interesting. In Revelation chapter 10 and verse 8, it's a parallel to Ezekiel. He says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book or scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book or give me the, the scroll. And he said, Take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. So Ezekiel ate the scroll and it was sweet like honey in his mouth, but he didn't describe how it felt in his stomach. John says he ate it. It was sweet as honey to his mouth, but it made him sick to his stomach. He said, in my stomach, it became bitter. And you see why in verse 11, because he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. In other words, he was showing John the wrath of God that was going to be poured out upon all of mankind because man has rejected Jesus Christ. The door to salvation for being part of the church has closed at the rapture of the church. And now people are following after the Antichrist. They're lining up to take the mark of the beast so they could identify themselves with Satan's man after rejecting God's man, Jesus Christ. And so the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon all peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And we already are seeing this happen all around the world. Chaos, wars, rumors of wars, bombs going off, exploding in Lebanon, in Beirut, just destroying the dock over there. Uh, you, we have diseases and pestilence. 
We have the new world order coming and the reset coming in 2021, according to the World Economic Forum uh, in Davos, Switzerland last year. There's going to be a reset in 2021. Uh, huge ramifications related to our elections in November, whether we are going to become part of the globalist movement or we will continue to maintain our sovereignty as a nation. Very serious because they're looking to get a one world government, a one world currency. They're going to devalue our currency and then get rid of our currency in 2021. And it's all going to go to cryptocurrencies in 2021. This is what the World Economic Forum is telling us. This is what the World Trade Organization is telling us. Uh, on and on. The World Bank and so forth. And so uh, the judgment of God is coming. And so we must be those that prophesy even the judgment that's coming to warn the people. And it may be sweet to know God's going to blast the devil and blast all the wicked people. But the problem is, is that it's bitter in my stomach to read the book of Revelation and to see how many people are going to die and how much people are going to suffer because they've rejected Jesus Christ and they will follow after the Antichrist and the devil's man. It's here upon us now. Sweet to the mouth and bitter to the stomach. Now, the last day's generation, uh, there's a wicked generation that was prophesied to come in the last days. And again, I believe that we are living in those times. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11, speaks about this generation that's coming. He says, there is a generation that curses its father and it does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off of the earth and the needy from among men. I believe that this is speaking of the last day's generation that's going to be upon the earth, and I believe that generation is possibly already born. And this is already happening, this generation. They're pure in their own eyes. They curse their parents. Uh, they're not washed from their filthiness. They're so high-minded, lofty are their eyes. They're so arrogant and so egotistical and so narcissistic. Their eyelids are lifted up and their teeth, their words are like weapons, he says. Their teeth are like swords and their fangs are like knives. And they just destroy with their words one another. In Second Timothy Paul the Apostle tells us that in the last days that there's going to be a generation that's going to come. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, or stressful times, or dangerous times are going to come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, prideful, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of what is good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. It's like Paul was looking 2,000 years forward into history and looking at our generation. If you read this, everything that we read here that was predicted to identify the last day's generation that's going to come, that's going to accept the Antichrist, you read this and then you look around and you say, my goodness, we must be close because this defines our modern generation 
in the West. Boasters, blasphemers, cursing the name of God like it's nothing, uh, and slanders just tearing uh, each other down with their words. Remember, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. In Psalm 36 and verse 1, David the psalmist tells us this, An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked, there is no fear of God before his eyes, the wicked man. For he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not hate or abhor evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We don't hate the sinner. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. We must hate what God hates. If we call ourselves God's people, why would we love the things that God hates? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things that I command? It's hypocrisy if we call ourselves Christians and then we love evil and we despise good. It's hypocrisy. In Psalm chapter 40, we read this in verse 8. This is about the righteous man in contrast to the wicked man and the righteous man's words. He says this, I delight to do thy will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. If you have God's law within your heart, then you're going to want to do God's will. He says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. The righteous man proclaims the word of God. The righteous woman declares the things of God as true, whether or not they're popular, whether or not they're acceptable to a fallen, corrupted, perverted world. We still are to stand and to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news. Jesus came and died to pay the price for your sins so that you could be saved, you could be born again, so you don't have to go to hell. That's great news. The righteous man declares the righteous woman. And then in verse 16, he says, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. So we use our words to magnify the Lord. The Lord be magnified is what we should say because we seek the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. We're glad in the Lord. We love God's salvation. So we should be those who say continually, the Lord be magnified. Turn with me to Matthew 25, and this is where we end this morning. Matthew 25, the Olivet Discourse, so much here uh, regarding the last days and the second coming of Christ. Amir Sarfati from Behold Israel has just done a series on the Olivet Discourse. I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, I get a lot of my Middle Eastern news about what's happening in Israel and the Middle East from uh, Amir Sarfati online, as many people do. Godly Christian man. Uh, Matthew 25, the Olivet Discourse, Verse 14, this is the parable of the talents. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received uh, two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. A talent, you know, we think of a talent like somebody's ability to sing, somebody's ability to do mathematical equations or science or something like this, somebody's uh, ability to play the piano. And those are talents, certainly. But in the context here, the talent would have been a large sum of money that he was entrusting to them. And they're stewards of their master's money. Uh, A talent would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 pounds, whether it was 90 pounds of gold or 90 pounds of silver, it was a lot of money. And so to give one person, you know, uh, five talents, another person to another one, all of them uh, had a lot of uh, uh, um, entrusted to them. God was entrusting a lot to them. Even the guy with the one talent, if it was 90 pounds of, of, of gold, that's a lot of gold. Uh, the talent was as much as a, a Roman uh, soldier could carry on his back. And so uh, he says, this course of is a parable of the kingdom. It's a parable of uh, he's the man that's traveling to a far country. Uh, we're his servants, really. He's delivering his goods to us. We're given talents according to our own abilities. He knows who gets what, and, and, and we're supposed to be faithful with that which we have. And uh, it says that after a long time, he came back in verse 19. And, and, you know, that's kind of the problem for us is it's been so long since Jesus went to heaven, 2,000 years, that we just don't think he's ever going to come back. But he is going to come back. And Jesus even gave us a hint. It's going to be a long time, he said, before that master comes back to check on his uh, uh, talents that he had entrusted to his servants. And it has been a couple thousand years, uh, but that just means we're 2,000 years closer to the coming of Jesus Christ and that he could come back any time. So he continues in verse 20. He says, So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents and said, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. And then he says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. He's not admitting that, 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 that he reaps where he hasn't sown. That's what this wicked servant was saying about him. He, he's like repeating it back to him. You know, uh, you knew that I reap where I haven't sown. That's what you say about me. Uh, and, and that I gather where I haven't scattered seed. That's what you think about me. 
He says, so you ought, if, even if that was true, he says, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Here's the takeaway. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're not called to bury our talents. We're called to use our talents, whatever few little talents we might have. We're supposed to use them for God's glory. We're supposed to uh, invest them into the kingdom of God. We're, we're stewards. Someday we're going to answer to God for our lives. We're going to give an answer. What do we do with the life that he gave us? What do we do with the salvation, with the gifts and talents that he's given us? One day we will all stand before Christ at the Bema Seat and we will give an account. And it will be a great day uh, of rewards and also of purging the wood, hay, and stubble. All those things which were done uh, with the wrong motives or for the wrong reasons will be purged at that time at the Bema Seat of Christ. But we are all stewards of what God has given us. We're stewards of our minds. We're stewards of our hearts. We're stewards of our bodies. And we are stewards of our tongues. Our very words we are responsible for. Jesus says, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And so we have to take our words seriously. We have to be those who have uh, control of our tongue. We have to be those who are filled with the good things of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And if garbage is coming out of our mouth, we have to check what we're putting into our heart. And we have to change the input if we want to change what comes out. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at C-O-A-H podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.